0: Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Malachi, chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar, will you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand? Says the Lord. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help, so let us begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, your prophets who came and declared your word to your people. And we thank you that your word continues to be proclaimed to us and that it has relevance for our lives and that your spirit is at work applying it to our hearts. Father, we need that same work of your spirit Today, Give us ears to hear and eyes to see today what the Spirit says. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing on in the book of Malachi. If you remember, as we opened up last week, uh, Malachi is prophesying at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, after the temple had been rebuilt, after they had come back from exile. A generation has kind of gone by. And... Malachi comes and he declares to the people seven complaints from the Lord. And we are told that it is a burden. It was this prophecy coming to the people that Malachi must speak to them. He must speak it to people who will likely not want to hear it. Last week we talked about the first complaint and that was that the Lord loved his people and they said, how have you loved us? We talked about how the Lord had, before all eternity, elected these people, had chosen Jacob over Esau and been faithful to his promise to keep for himself a treasured possession of people, the people whom Malachi is now speaking to. And as the Lord who is over this nation Proclaims his love, dispels their sense of feeling that they have not truly been loved, moves on to the second complaint. And this complaint is particularly aimed at the priests. Now, it has a broader application than that, but the people who are in mind here are the priests who are serving in this newly built temple. Worship had been restored. The priests were the ones who are supposed to be teaching the people who are taking the sacrifices, who are offering them on the altar. And Malachi here is rebuking the priests. Those who should have known better. Those who should have held a high standard for the people. Those who should have been correcting the people along the way. The worship of God has been defiled. And as it has been defiled, the priests are the ones who are most held culpable for this sin. We have this word imagery uh, that helps us understand what the Lord's complaint is against his people. We begin in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? As we look at our passage today, we're going to be seeing three things, and it kind of has this double cycle. We're going to look at the character of God, which we see here in verse 6, and we're going to look at the cause for his rebuke and a call to repentance so first is this character of God we just saw in verse 6 God is a father and he is a master and just as somebody would honor their father or fear their master they would have esteemed him rightly they aren't esteeming the Lord even in an earthly way the same as they would their own father or master there is a misunderstanding of the character of God what he ought to be treated like now there's not a lot of things we typically have nowadays in our culture that honors fathers and mothers and, and servants and masters right the uh, perhaps you know we have fathers day and we maybe have a special seat at the table the father might sit at the head of the table at dinner But we all know that this imagery of a father being honored is one that was particularly important in a patriarchal society like Israel. All of your inheritance, all of the covenant promises came through your family line. Greatly esteemed were the elders, those older than you, your father and your grandfather, It would have been common practice to have great reverence and awe for your father. Let alone the imagery of a servant and a master who, if a servant is under the rule of a master, well, knows that he better treat his master well. Otherwise, it would not go well for him. Similar to us, if we are lousy workers or say something Less kind to our employer, we might find ourselves under his displeasure and wrath. We know this in an earthly way, that we ought to honor our parents, that we ought to honor our employer or servant, his master. But here, the Lord's complaint is that he has not received honor, that they don't fear him. If he is a father, where is his honor? If he is a master, where is his fear? O priests who despise my name, how have we despised your name? This is the call, cause of the Lord's rebuke, this despising of his name. The Lord, who is the ultimate father to be honored, the ultimate master to be feared, has instead been despised. And they seem so clueless. What, what do you mean? We are priests. We are in the temple. We are offering the sacrifices. We are doing our best We are getting along. How have we despised your name? We'll see here in verse 7, but then again towards the end of our passage, that there has been this pollution of worship. The food upon the Lord's altar. How have we polluted you? The priests reply because they've despised his table, when they offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? See, in the sacrificial code, you were supposed to take the choicest of your produce, the most spotless lamb, the best of your flock. And bring them to the Lord. It was a a tangible way in which you showed honor and respect and fear and confession that the Lord is the one who has blessed you with these good gifts. And so you gave him the best of your land, the best of your field, the best of your flock. But instead, what's happening here is they are taking the worst. The ones that they probably couldn't even sell themselves. The cow who broke its leg, well, we had to kill him anyways. Might as well bring him to the temple. That sick lamb, well, we can't do anything else with it. We might as well offer it to the Lord. Jesus is the only perfect sacrifice that is going to ever be offered to God. But there was this typological figure in the Old Testament of offering the best that you had. The spotless lamb, the choicest fruits, but instead they were giving the bottom of the barrel to the Lord. And he rebukes them in the same earthly way. Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Of course, the answer to that question is of course he would not. It would be insulting to do such a thing. It would be as if you were to have a dignitary come into your house. You invite the senator from your state over for dinner, and you bring out leftover macaroni and cheese for dinner. It would be perhaps insulting, definitely not a display of honor. Good gifts it was a condition of the people's heart, the way that they viewed God, that it was okay to just do whatever, to give their leftovers and to keep the best for themselves. This is what the Lord is rebuking them for, because they don't see him rightly. They are not giving him the honor and the fear that he deserves. Verse 9 goes on and says, Now entreat the favor of the Lord that he may be gracious to us with a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you with such a gift? The Lord is calling them to turn from this wicked act. That they can take the most profitable things and use it for their own gain to sell those better lambs and those better produce for themselves and instead give God that which is polluted, that which is unhonorable, that which is worthless. And as the word comes to the people here from the Lord, it gets even more drastic. Think, remember, these are people who have just gotten back into the promised land, have just rebuilt the temple one generation ago. Right, their fathers probably helped stack the stones. In verse 10, the Lord says, Oh, that they were one among you who would shut the doors, that you may not kindle fire on my altar in vain. that they would shut the doors to the temple. Nothing could be a greater judgment than the end of worship. In fact, the deportation of the people of Israel out into exile was this same judgment that their worship was not going to be accepted any longer. The Lord, who deserves all glory, all worship, all praise and sacrifice, is going to shut his own worship down. And he is speaking to the priests here, those who should know better, those who stood at the altar and saw people bring in their lame and their sick and their blind offerings. And instead of telling those people what they needed to hear, which was to rebuke them, to tell them to offer their best, to honor the Lord for who he was. Instead, they were complicit in the whole thing and were the people who should have shut the door. The unfaithfulness of the priests is the whole reason why Malachi has to come. They should have mitigated these evil acts by the people, they were the ones who were to preserve pure worship. And so the complaint comes to them. Where is my honor? Where is my fear? You despise my name. You wouldn't even do that to your governor. Oh, that worship would stop. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. These are very strong words from Malachi to the people of God. The threat of worship being stopped probably brought to mind the idea of exile once again. The idea that God would not accept the offerings that they brought, that they were being rejected by Yahweh, would have been the greatest fear of any faithful Israelite. And then we cycle back through this list, and we get back to the character of God as he continues his complaint. Because this is what it should be like. This is what his character is like. Verse 11 For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. The people of God at this time were not making the Lord's name great among the nations. They were despising it. They were showing that their God had no real standard. Sure, those pagan gods over there might require something great of you, but we just give our God our leftovers. But the Lord declares that his name will be great, despite what they are doing. Perhaps he will need to shut down worship and raise up A new temple. Because we're told in verse 12, they profane his name. And they say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. The Lord is jealous for his glory. And if the priests and the people of God will not repent, the Lord will stop their polluted worship. And look at their response. Look at the response of the people in verse 13. What a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what is taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept this from your hands, says the Lord of hosts? What a weariness this is. Indeed, much of the difference between faithful worship and unfaithful worship has less to do with the content and more to do with our attitudes. For The people of God at this time, they were doing the bare minimum. They were doing what they thought they could to get by. They were keeping the best for themselves. And as the prophet comes and rebukes them, instead of understanding their failures and turning from their wickedness, they see it as this great burden for them to have to follow. Oh, it's so weary that we would have to do these things, that we would have to give of the Lord of our best. It is so weary of us to have to do this. And to think of the priests who likely are saying the same thing. Oh, you mean we have to tell people to do better? You mean we have to tell people their sacrifices aren't good enough? You mean we have to bring reform to the temple? This is so weary. The difference between what would ultimately come of this is not so much whether or not they were going to turn from the way that they were acting, but instead the heart attitude for why they were doing the things that they were doing. God is not coming out to them merely to correct them and to cause them to act better. Remember, the first complaint was, I have loved you. He is calling them back to faithfulness. And they view it as weariness. You mean I have to give? You mean I have to show up? You mean I have to teach? This is so weary. And for those who have cold, unregenerated hearts, it is pure weariness. It is this idea that they're going to win over God's favor. And that is not at all what is happening here. What is happening here is Malachi is calling the people to heartfelt worship, giving God the honor and fear and reverence that he deserves, that they would see him for who he is and respond properly. Not burdening them to give of their best, but that they would do it joyfully because they know who the Lord is. Going back to our example of having a senator at your house, you wouldn't get out all of the good dishes and all of the things that you would do to honor a guest just because you have to. No, because it would be your joy to show them honor. Because you want them to feel welcomed. And so it is for the people of God here He is not calling them to mere moral obedience, but to change how they understand who God is, their father, their master, the one who ought to be revered, who is deserving, whose worship should be pure. we have this call at the end, number verse 14. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock, and who vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. In my name will be feared among the nations. False worship, whether done with a hard heart or a cold heart, whatever, misguided priests is going to lead to God's curse. Those who vow one thing and do another, they don't understand the greatness of the kingship of our Lord, how his name will be feared among the nations And those who would legally abide by the rules and will not necessarily merit God's favor just because they checked the boxes. This is the other side of the ditch that we can fall into, that we can live a life where we think if we just do the things, if we show up early, if we serve on these committees, if we give the right amount, if we give the good sacrifices... That's all God really wants, is for us to check boxes, to do the things he says perfectly. Reality is, no matter how hard we would ever try, we would never be able to do those things perfectly. And if we look to those acts as the means through which we are accepted, the means through which God will have favor on us, we will be sorely disappointed. Indeed, those things ought to be happening in our lives, but not out of mere moral obligation, but out of a heartfelt gratitude of the Lord who has delivered you from death to life. It brings to mind to me this passage from Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, In love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Malachi is going to rebuke the priests. He's going to rebuke the people. Ultimately, the temple will be shut down again. This is the last book of the Old Testament, as we have it ordered. And there will be hundreds of years of silence. When God will not be coming to rebuke his people time and time again, instead they will continue on and they will continue to be unfaithful until the great high priest comes in the flesh and makes the perfect sacrifice that we could never make for ourselves. That we can have confidence entering into God's presence. Let's see the writer of Hebrews here. He doesn't just talk about how Jesus is our high priest and he gives us confidence and we are made clean by his blood. These are absolutely necessary truths for us. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another All the more as you see the day drawing near. This is what ought to have been happening as the people came out of exile, rebuilt the temple. They ought to have been stirring one another up. Remember what the Lord has done. Let us worship Him. Let us praise Him. Let us offer Him our best. How much greater it is for us that we don't have to have the perfect sacrifice to listen to fallible Priests. Instead, we have a perfect priest and a perfect sacrifice. We don't have to look to our good works to be made right in his sight. But we all still have the same problem. We are so prone to see the character of God as one who can just take our leftovers. Who doesn't deserve our honor and our respect who we don't really fear. And this writer of Hebrews is calling us to stir one another up, to remind each other how great the Lord is, that we might love him more, that we might do the good works that we ought to do, not to earn his favor, but because of how greatly he has loved us. Not neglecting the meeting together, Of course, we have in view here worship. But that's because we need one another. The people needed the priests to lead the way because they were fickle. We are all fickle. We need each other to be reminded of how great our God is. Even our call to confession of sin earlier talks about being filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That is not something you can do in your own strength. God is calling his people to heartfelt worship. Giving of your best is not wearisome. It ought not to be wearisome. And when it is wearisome to us, it is a heart condition that we must pray that God would help us to deal with. Indeed, we ought to obey whether or not we feel like it in a moment. But may we be people who have the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of Christ dwelling richly in our hearts, that our worship is not wearisome, that we would come with joy and thankfulness, that we would stir one another up, that we would never dream of the day when God would close the doors. Because his worship has been so polluted. And when we fail, which we will, when we are weary, when we do give God second, third, and fourth best, when we give him nothing at all, The author of the Hebrews reminds us that we have a greater high priest interceding for us, that Christ's blood covers us, and that when we fail and we are reminded of his perfect love and sacrifice for us, it is the only antidote for us to come back, to be reminded. We cannot make up for the times we have failed. We just must trust again being reminded of his great character, his great holiness, his great love. May we trust in him. May we seek to be people who worship in spirit and in truth. May God give us the grace to be people who have joy as we offer our best. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Christ has made a way for us to be accepted even when we are so rebellious, when we keep the best for ourselves. Father, would you do a work in our hearts, give us gratitude and thankfulness? Would you help us to see your glory and your love? that it would cause us to be joyful in giving you all, that we wouldn't follow you as second or third or fourth as important in our life, but that truly we would follow the call of Jesus to abandon everything and follow after you. We need your spirit and your grace to do these things that we can't do for ourselves. We ask for these in Christ's name. Amen.